Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. Friends, we have come through the journey of Lent, and now here we are on Easter morning. This is our sunrise service here at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It is a joy and a privilege to be here, to be leading worship, strangely enough, entirely by myself. I am here in the sanctuary. It is 6.35 on Sunday morning, and there is no one here, which is the first time and hopefully the only time I ever say I'm grateful to be alone at church on Easter. I hope that these weeks of uh, the pandemic, these weeks of isolation haven't been too hard on you, no matter where you are and what you find yourself going through. Uh, it has been a strange time for the church here and everywhere to figure out what it means to be a people who gather together who cannot gather together right now. I'm grateful for uh, the technology that allows me to do this, <clears throat> even on an uh, Easter Sunday morning, uh, to make a service available uh, through Facebook and eventually YouTube so that uh, people across the world can join together and hear the Easter proclamation. Uh, I have some things I want to share, some things I want to say, some words I want to preach, and mostly I just want you to know that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and more importantly, he's been raised for you and for me. Many, many years ago when I was uh, in high school, early high school, I helped out at my home church as much as I possibly could. I volunteered all the time, and one of the things that I did was uh, I showed up very, very early one Easter Sunday morning. My home church, we had this tomb that we would put out on the lawn uh, right in front of the sanctuary. And on Good Friday, we would have a stone and we would roll in front of this tomb entrance. It was sort of made out of wood and fabric. And we had centurion costumes. And uh, two people from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning, basically, would stand as the guards in front of the tomb. And when I was finally old enough, I would do it every, usually Holy Saturday. I would stand out in front of the tomb for a few hours guarding it. But one Easter Sunday, the associate pastor at the time, now one of my best friends, Jason Michelli, said, Taylor, I want you to help with the sunrise service. So he got me a, an angel costume, and he told me to arrive that morning before anybody else uh, with a fog machine and to get inside the tomb uh, so that no one would know I was there. And while he was preaching, the idea was I was going to turn on the fog machine at the right point and then I would roll the, the entrance of the tomb away and come out and make the proclamation that the, that the angel dressed in white is supposed to make. So I got there very, very early. It was still completely dark. No one was at the church yet. And I got inside the tomb. It wasn't terribly large, uh, but I got inside and I had the smoke machine with me and I turned it on. Uh, I, you know, I sort of warmed it up and I was waiting to hear him gather with everyone else. And then I was going to press it at the right time so that the tomb would fill with smoke such that when I rolled it back, it would kind of be this very dramatic, you know, billowing smoke coming forth from the tomb. So I waited inside, and either he inadvertently misspoke too early, or I couldn't hear him, but I turned on the fog machine a little too early, uh, such that he continued to preach, and I thought, uh, surely I must bust out of the tomb at some point, but he kept going, and the fog filled up so quickly on the inside that I couldn't... Um, help myself from coughing. And I can only imagine what this looked like to the hundred or so people who had gathered on the lawn of the church uh, to all of a sudden see little bits of smoke seeping 
throughout the tomb and to hear someone coughing on the inside. And at some point I could no longer take it and I couldn't see. And so I just kicked down the front entrance to the tomb and I fell, I slipped in the mud right in front of the pastor. And he looked at me cause I was very, very early. And I stood up and all I said was, um, uh, Jesus isn't here. He's, he's, uh, somewhere else. I think Galilee, maybe go find him. Bye. And I, I ran <laughs> and I ran off. Uh, in this angel costume covered in mud, and I'm sure that I scared everybody that Easter Sunday morning. <clears throat> I can remember very vividly running and feeling horrible, feeling like I had ruined Easter somehow. Uh, but upon further reflection, I thought maybe that was like the perfect way to start Easter off with this kind of strange and bizarre and even sort of a mistake for no one could have expected the resurrection from the dead. Uh, no one anticipated it, surely, even though Jesus had told his uh, followers at least three times what would happen. To be scared on Easter, to run away, to even be in grief is perhaps the best posture for us to be. Uh, at least it gets us as close to those early disciples as we possibly can. Uh, so today, uh, as we gather together online for Easter sunrise, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Oh Lord, what a great and good thing it is to know that the tomb is empty. That though we might have thought the story had come to an end on Good Friday, that your story knows no end, for it's a story you're still telling with us, your servants today. Speak, Lord, in whatever way you see fit, that you might reveal to us something about ourselves, about who we are and whose we are. But most importantly, help us to see, Lord, that the resurrection is not just a gift for your son, but a gift for all of us for it means that death is not the end. And all God's people say, Amen. As we've been leading these worship services throughout uh, Lent this year online, I have said every week that I'm a Methodist, which means I don't know how to worship without singing. And I apologize, I don't have the best singing voice in the world, but uh, I'm going to sing to us a hymn. This is number 314 in our hymnal, the United Methodist hymnal. This is In the Garden. Uh, if you know the words, feel free to sing along at home at your leisure, but uh, this is in the garden. <clears throat> I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, 
and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go through the voice of woe, his voice to me is calling. And he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever Amen. As you're able, wherever you are, I invite you into a time of silence, a uh, time of silent reflection. If you're watching this live at 6.43 in the morning, uh, perhaps you're near a window, take a peek outside, see how uh, the light has changed in the short time we've been together. If you're watching it later after the fact, well, imagine that the sun is still rising. Uh, but I want you to just enter a time of silence, uh, see what you can hear, see what you can notice, uh, perhaps think about some of the words I was just singing, but let's just have a time of silence to be close with the Lord as we prepare to hear God's word read to us this morning. Lord, let your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to St. John in the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and I do not know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look inside and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary... Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent down to look in, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Monday night this last week, I camped in the backyard with my almost four-year-old son, Elijah Wolf Mertens. Uh, with the calls for social distancing and the stay-at-home orders, I figured, you know, why not break out the tent and the sleeping pads and the sleeping bags, build a fire in the backyard, and we could have our own little mini camping trip only a few feet away from our basement. My plan was to get Elijah sort of all snug into his sleeping bag around his own bedtime around uh, 8, 8.30, and that I would be able to stay up for a few more hours by the fire, reading a book, having a good time. But of course, the minute I zipped up the tent and started to walk away, the calls for me to join him started ringing out, uh, but dad, um, 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 what if I get hungry? I said, Elijah, you never get hungry in the middle of the night. What, what do you mean, what if I get hungry? But uh, dad, I, I think I'm hungry now. So being the father, the good father I am, I went and I got him something to eat. I put him back inside the tent. And then, of course, um, Dad, it's, um, it's kind of dark. I was like, yeah, buddy, it's nighttime. That's what happens at night. But uh, I, think maybe, I think maybe you need to come in the tent with me now. So there I was at 8.30 on Monday evening. I willed myself into my own sleeping bag right next to him in the tent. And I began staring at the inside uh, ceiling of a tent, praying that I would be able to fall asleep. It took a very long time. Elijah, of course, was out within minutes, but I had nothing to do. I couldn't turn on my flashlight. I, I couldn't read anything. I just had to lay there and hope that sleep would come for me. And to be honest, I was kind of surprised and shocked about how loud it was in my backyard on a Monday night, I could make out uh, a full conversation happening between neighbors uh, in my, uh, my next door neighbors that they were having in their backyard. I could also hear the low buzz of a television sitcom with a laugh track coming from somewhere to the south. 
and I could hear God knows how many cars and motorcycles and trucks that were driving all over the place, which made trying to fall asleep at 8.30 at night that much harder. But eventually, thankfully, sleep came and I embraced it with a warm hug. However, at around four o'clock in the morning, I jolted awake inside of the tent. And for that brief moment, I tried to figure out why in the world am I in a tent in the backyard? Uh, and of course, I figured it out and I tried to lay my head back to sleep, but I couldn't. I couldn't fall asleep. It just felt like something was really off the entire time. And it took me a while to figure out what it was. It was quiet. All those sounds I had heard hours before, they were all gone. There were no cars driving, no conversations happening, no televisions on. There weren't even birds chirping. It was completely still and completely quiet, and it was driving me crazy. I could not fall asleep knowing how quiet it was. The next thing I knew, I had fallen asleep. It was around 545 and out of that perfect silence, I heard a tiny whisper. Dad, are you awake? That's all it took. A few words whispered from the lips of my son, and I went from what was into what is with those four simple words. Dad, are you awake? And I was awake. Sometimes all it takes is a whisper. You know, the Bible contains multitudes, but sometimes what it doesn't say is what really stands out. Like this verse in John's gospel where John writes down, oh, there were many other things and uh, Jesus did and Jesus said, but we did not write them down here in this book. Every time I pass that verse, I think, well, why the hell not? I would love to know more about what Jesus said and Jesus did. Why would you even tease me with Jesus did more and said more than what we put down in this book? And for as much as the Bible tells us, it's notable that we learn absolutely nothing about what happens between the time Jesus is taken down from the cross on Friday until the tomb is empty on Sunday. We don't know about anything that happened until Easter. Now, I, for one, would love to know what the disciples were up to. But we don't get a behind-the-scenes look at their grief-stricken conversations. We don't get to hear Mary, the mother of Jesus, singing a song of lament that would rival her Magnificat from the beginning of his life. In fact, we don't even find out what happens in the tomb while Jesus is there. Instead, Scripture just picks up kind of in the middle of the story, in the middle of the darkness, with Mary Magdalene walking to the tomb in her grief which is just another way of saying that some of the most pivotal moments in the gospel take place not in the light of day, but under the cover of darkness, whether it's incarnate life in the womb or the upending creation from the cross or the resurrection within the tomb. It all happens with and in the dark. Mary walks to the tomb in silent darkness. She discovers unexpectedly, inexplicably that the stone has been rolled away and she runs to go tell the other disciples. They, of course, rush to the tomb. They take a peek inside. They make some connections, but not enough. And they leave only slightly wiser than when they were when they arrived. They witness something they couldn't explain and they choose to leave. But Mary 
she stays. Not only does she stay, she weeps. Overcome with grief, she stays at the tomb with her tears. For just a moment, let's just sit on that word. Before the joy of Easter, before the good news truly becomes good, Mary grieves. Loss is not something we really make space for at Easter. We focus so much on the bunny and the candy and the eggs and the hymns and the lilies that we don't make time or space for people to feel what it is they feel. There's so much goodness in Easter that we don't think about people who are feeling the badness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave does not take away the pain of absence that can come in death. But death has been changed. The resurrection gives us eyes to see that death is not the end. However, Mary, in her grief, she has not yet seen the risen Lord. She peeks into the tomb. She sees two angels, and they ask her about her tears. Notice, they don't tell her to get over her grief. They don't tell her to start processing her feelings. They don't tell her to move on the spectrum. They just ask her about her tears. That's a good word for us, encountering those with grief. Then she turns around. And she sees Jesus standing there, but she does not know that it's him. And he, like the angels before him, ask about her tears. She pleads, supposing him the gardener, to tell her where the body of her Lord is. And instead of responding to her request, Jesus whispers her name, Mary. Easter for Mary, it began with a whisper. All it takes is the sound of her name whispered from the lips of the Lord. And she goes from what was to what is, and everything is changed forever. She hears her name, sees who he really is, and she runs. She runs with the good news ringing in her head, and she is the first to preach Easter to the disciples with words that still shake our hearts even today. I have seen the Lord. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave happened at night. No one was there when it took place. By the time Mary arrived in and with her tears, it was already done. Some of the best and the most important things in life take place without us having to do much of anything. Now that is a very strange and troubling word to those of us who feel as if we're never doing enough. But Easter, Easter is a reminder that the most defining moment in the history of the cosmos happens in spite of us. Which is also why we call it good news. Jesus doesn't wait behind the the stone until his disciples have just the perfect amount of faith before he breaks out. Jesus doesn't tell them that he will be raised only when they evangelize enough people. Jesus doesn't give them a list of to-dos before Easter happens. Jesus came to raise the dead. Not to reform the reformable, not to improve the improvable, not to teach the teachable, but to raise the dead. The promise of Easter for people like you and me, it is wild beyond all imagining. It is the gift of life in the midst of death. It is a way out simply by remaining in. It is everything for nothing, truly. Easter is a promise, a promise that the God who is always with us will always be with us. Easter is the promise that God can always make something of our nothing. Easter 
Easter is the promise that death isn't the end, and the best news of all is we don't have to do anything for it. It is a gift. So I end this homily today not with a loud shout, not with a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal, but instead with a whisper of the good news, the very best news the world has ever heard. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. There are a number of people who are grieving uh, a different sort this year, not just grieving loss of people they've loved or uh, other things, but grieving the loss of Easter as they knew it. Uh, we can't gather in person today. There are no lilies in our sanctuary. We don't uh, have the, the perfect outfits we've been saving for this day. We are not going to be able to, to go out uh, and find a blooming tree and take that perfect Instagram picture to pretend that our families are more perfect than they really are. We can't do any of that. And for some people, there's a lot of grief. I was talking to another uh, pastor a few weeks ago about this when we knew that we wouldn't be gathering for Easter. And her name's Joanna. And she said, you know, I'm actually really, really thankful for this Easter. And I said, well, why? Can you imagine going to church on Easter and not having people in there, which is what I'm doing right now? And she said, no, Taylor, you don't understand. Every year it feels like Easter has to be perfect, that we have to bring all these things to it. We've got to have our kids in their outfits. We've got to have the right and the perfect Easter egg hunt. And we've got to pick the perfect hymns and have the choir already. And we've got to have the right scripture reader. And we've got to have the best homily we've ever preached. And we've got to do this and this and this. And she said, I am so grateful that I finally get to have an imperfect Easter where all those expectations that are put on me or I put on myself, I don't have to worry about them anymore. The first Easter wasn't perfect either. Mary's there at the tomb crying. The other disciples run off. What a joy to finally be able to have an Easter that's actually like Easter. A gift into the midst of our brokenness. A gift from the Lord who is the one who actually brings everything to us. And we don't have to offer anything in return. That's a good word. That in spite of this pandemic that is rocking the world, Easter is. The tomb is empty, whether we are gathering in church or not. The tomb is still empty, whether the hymns are perfect or not. The tomb is still empty, whether or not the sermon was any good. And for a preacher like me, that's really good news. That Jesus Christ rises from the dead for me and in spite of me. We finally get to have an Easter that's a gift from the Lord to us. And not all about what we bring to God. So as we come to the conclusion of our sunrise service, I'd like to sing again. Again, I apologize. But this is one of my favorite hymns. And it fits so perfectly with the text from this morning. This is softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals he's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. 
You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me? Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home. Come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. So wherever you find yourself this day, on this Easter day, I hope you hear the whisper that has changed the world, the whisper of your name, the whisper of the good news, the very best news of all. He is risen. He is risen indeed, and that has changed everything. So go forth with this blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life, the God of death, the God of resurrection and of Easter, whisper the sound of your name again and again and again that you might have eyes to see and ears to hear the very best news of all. He is risen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Happy Easter.